0: This is Melange à deux, a Vienna podcast. Herzlich willkommen, Frau Batsby, and I am with Herr X. Hello. <laughs> and this is our very first podcast, podcast, podcast episode. Uh, the name of this podcast is Melange à deux, a Vienna podcast, and pretty much the idea is that every week, hopefully, I talk about a new Austrian person that you don't know much about to you, at you, Herr X. <laughs>
1: which is uh, basically what she does all the time. So this time it's gonna be a new person.
0: A new person, and also this will have notes. Otherwise I won't be too, dist- I'll be too distracted. So today's topic for our very first episode is gonna be Hedy Lamar. Title of this episode is Hedy, Hedy, Pretty Lady. And why don't you tell me what you know about Hedy Lamar since you are going into this completely blind?
1: Uh, I know the Joe Rogan bit. Okay. <laughs> Which is, uh, so apparently she was a movie star mm-hmm. and uh, a scientist who invented uh, Wi Fi, from what I understand. And the, the bit is funnier. I can't really do justice to it.
0: And that's the last time we'll mention Joe Rogan on this podcast. Oh, come on. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, bro.
0: Okay. Uh, so, Hedy Lamar, <laughs> uh, what I knew about her before researching this was that she was a Hollywood star and that she was the quote-unquote, mother of Wi-Fi, also, quote, the most beautiful woman in the world, unquote, and also Austrian and Jewish Mm. in your zip code. Yeah. That was pretty much it. Yeah. So I spent many hours reading different things, watching a documentary, and it is fascinating. She is fascinating. And I'm going to quote my sources at the beginning. So my sources include Wikipedia, as always. That's
1: that's always a good place to start. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Her book, Ecstasy, My Life as a Woman by Hedy Lamarr, which I'll talk about a lot in this uh, episode. The website, womanhistory.org, an article by Colleen Cheslak, 2018. Uh, The documentary by Alexandra Dean called Bombshell. A a Jewish Museum Vienna article entitled Letter from Hollywood by Caitlin Goerredel. And an article from Der Standard. Uh, It was an article posted 20th of October, 2022. So, oh, oh,
1: no, no. 2022. That
0: makes sense. That makes sense. (laughs) I
1: just wanted to make sure you're getting the correct one.
0: Good. Thanks. Mm. (laughs) Okay. So as I said before, I used her book. And when I finished reading her autobiography, it turns out that she sued the publisher saying this was actually a lot of it wasn't true.
1: So she did not contribute to the autobiography like somebody else wrote it for her?
0: She had a ghostwriter and she said that a lot of the stuff was made up which made it really fun to get, you know, cross-reference.
1: That's interesting.
0: Yeah. So it's a little bit tough. The book is very salacious Mm. and I think the hardest part about researching this was not being able to tell you what I was reading.
1: Well, yeah. Every single time I'd come home it's almost like, you know, I'm also the type of person who doesn't like surprises and, uh, by the way, Tova's given me hand gestures to tell me to lower my voice, because I, can, I tend to get very uh, loud when excited, and I'm very
0: excited. And stop moving.
1: <laughs> oh, the stop moving. Stop That's moving. That
0: was Yeah, we're going to work on our uh, oh. nonverbal communication. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that
0: stop moving? That stop moving. That, that hand gesture is stop moving, and also to... to to not scream.
1: But is there a way to do it without a middle finger? (laughs) (laughs) There were no middle fingers involved. Don't
0: worry. No. You're still moving. (laughs) Because I'm noisy. Okay. I'm going to lock that chair.
1: Okay.
0: All right. So are you ready to learn all about Hedy Lamarr? Uh, Absolutely. Okay. Perfect. So Hedy Lamarr was born Hedwig Eva Maria Kiesler in Vienna, November 9th. I'm pausing because why is that date important?
1: important. It's very important. I, of course, I know why it's important. It's important <laughs> because it's the night we met. It's also uh, Kristallnacht.
0: It's actually not the night we met. It was the night we went on our first date. No. Yeah. Is there a pizza night?
1: No. When was the night we met then? That was the night we met. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. I know this for a fact because it was Gemma's birthday. Wait, no. was it. Uh, huh? Oh, I can't use people's birthdays.
0: <laughs> or names. <laughs> so
1: her name was Matilda.
0: Matilda. Okay, so November 9th, 1915. Oh my God, you can't stop moving. Well why don't we switch
1: positions then? I stay in the in the, the lounge chair.
0: <laughs> no. This is my power pose. Um so, anyway, November 19th, no, ugh, November 9th, 1915. The year is different in different sources. I can wait, wait.
1: Can we all just pause for a minute? Because this is very important. So you're trying to make me feel bad in a high-stress situation that I don't know when we met. <laughs> and, then, and, and, then, and then it turns out that actually somebody else was wrong. You know how I know? Because I took you on the reason, rod on our first anniversary of that uh, when we met. Yeah. and we were up on the thing, and we didn't realize that it was also
0: Kristallnacht. Yes, and uh,
1: because there were
0: Jewish names being shown on a building, and we thought it was an engagement party. Yes. Yeah.
1: So it wasn't for our first pizzas or our first time we locked eyes.
0: Okay, that's very nice. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I was just testing you. Okay, so let's go back <laughs> to Hetty. Yeah. My gosh, <laughs> how did you ever stay in school? You don't sit still. It at I the guarantee you, it won't
1: come across this microphone is. Okay. First of all, for those of you who don't know, I have a microphone that changes colors. Uh, it's got uh, that thing in front of it, uh, spit guard. I'm guessing it is, and um,
2: I'm gonna and I think you.
1: and I think that you know you don't have it. It's because you're staying really still, and I'm moving around. Some people I would call that
0: professionalism. Can we get back to Hetty?
1: Whoa, I'm an amateur podcaster.
0: Yeah, it's my second time around. Okay, so Hetty, born November 9th, 1915. The years are different in different sources. Some say 1913, some say 1914. But Let's go with 1915. Her parents originally thought they were having a boy. Mm-hmm. So they chose the name George, or rather, Georg, for her. Her mother was always disappointed that she was a girl. Mm-hmm. So... The doctor, upon seeing her when she was born, said, She is fine, but she has no nose at all. Only two holes and a round face.
1: (laughs) Doctors
0: have changed. Ironically, later on, women would ask plastic surgeons for the, quote, Hedy Lamarr nose, unquote, decades later. She was very famous for her very nice nose. As she was growing up, her mother referred to her as ugly duckling. I feel like that did not affect her at all in any of the life choices she made.
1: (laughs) People are weird.
0: People are weird. So we'll talk quickly about her parents. Her uh, mother's name was Gertrude, and she was a concert pianist. The family was originally Hungarian Jews, but they converted. I'm guessing they converted for safety reasons. This would have been the 1800s in Hungary. Uh, Her father, Emil was a Galician Galician Jew uh, born in Lviv. Lviv, Lviv. Lviv and he was the director of the Vina Bankverein which is still around today so he was big executive they were very wealthy and um, yeah so those are her parents Oh Lviv is uh, modern day Ukraine no? Yes okay See, <laughs> very good. I just want, I
1: thought I'd add some bit of things so
0: some bit of things so she grew up uh, in the 19th district on Peter Jodenstrasse, which is also Peter Jordan Street. And that sounds like an NSYNC member. I lived in the 19th and I did not enjoy it.
1: Peter Jordan.
0: Yeah. Uh, so her father was very indulgent. He spent many days or most days explaining mechanics to her. At the age of five, she took apart her music box and reassembled it perfectly. In the documentary, her son still has that music box, and it's pretty amazing. So she already you know, showed from a young age that she was interested in mechanics and science. She was also a bit of a wild child, so her parents sent her to a Swiss boarding school. Wow, uh,
1: what did she do? Did she do anything in particular, or was it just uh...
0: I think she just didn't want to <laughs> study. We're going to have to switch seats.
1: <laughs> By the way, I'm, you know what? We will pause for a commercial break because I want to see how much movement, how much uh, this is causing displeasure, oh, to the so listening, much
2: displeasure to the listening
1: audience.
0: All no, right. Let's take a okay, quick break.
1: Quit. We'll be right back after these messages. So see, solutions are everywhere.
0: Solutions are everywhere. And
1: apparently, like, well, if this doesn't work, then I have to wear a straitjacket.
0: Yeah, that would be fantastic. We'll save that for our Freud episode. Mm-hmm. So, as I was saying before, she was sent to a Swiss boarding school and I don't know what she did wrong, but I think she was a little bit of a, as I said earlier, a wild child. Um, she describes in her book, again, we don't know if it's true or not, uh, that she was pretty much sexually assaulted by another girl in, that she was a roommate with, she, yet she describes it more as a relationship because it was a very different era she would go on to have actually several relationships with women over her life. She never really Mm. says who they are. And yet she does also say in the book she doesn't understand homosexuality. Again, this was a different era, a different time. And I think she just fell in love with a person and it didn't matter the gender. So Mm. I think we could probably say that Hedy Lamarr was bisexual, but that's, you know, if the book is true. Uh, So then she leaves the swiss boarding school and she knows from a young age that she wanted to be an actress she would sit under her father's desk and put on plays with her dolls her parents did not want her to be an actress but i don't think they could do much to control her she was an only child um what if your kid wants to be an actor
1: if he wants to be an actor well i'd I'd give him a year (laughs) I'm I'm very, uh, well, I'm definitely different than my parents. I think if I told my parents I wanted to be an actor, uh, they'd be like, uh, okay, well, you could do that after your engineering classes.
0: Yeah, I was never a good actor. Uh, So she calls herself uh, in an interview during the documentary. So actually, to explain the documentary a little bit, she's not in the documentary cuz she passed before it was made mm. but a reporter has tapes of her that he interviews her so okay. there's parts of what i'm telling you that is from the documentary and from her own words so she calls herself enfant terrible so terrible child mm. um and it's funny because because people found out recently or recently in the last 20 to 30 years that she was actually incredibly gifted uh scientifically People just assume that she didn't really want to be an actress. So there's a sign up on Maria Hilfestrasse not far from here where it's a quote about how she wanted to be the most famous actress in the world. Somebody's gone and crossed it out and said, physicist. Hmm. And I kind of think, well, no, she always wanted to be an actress, but she also loved science. I don't know why it has to be one or the other. So that's my my personal rant.
1: I mean, I think... It's so funny how people get really upset because it's it's a way of them saying that, well, science is superior to acting. It's like you would never see a guy say, you know, Bo Jackson was the best uh, running back ever. And then somebody was like, well, he was a good hitter. And they're like, no, he was only a running back. He did both. Like, I don't know why you would have to be so upset about one. It's, it's also, this is, uh, just to let you know, I will always bring the podcast back to Bo Jackson.
0: Oh, oh, cool. Okay. I know him from that cartoon with Wayne Gretzky. Wasn't that? Yeah, it was Wayne Gretzky. What was that one called? All Stars? It was a cartoon from like the 80s. Oh, yes. 90s. Oh, my God. Superheroes. Yes, yeah.
1: superheroes. And yeah. then who was who was the other person? It was Bo Jackson, Wayne Gretzky.
0: Was it Michael Jordan?
1: No. Maybe Michael Jordan.
0: Well, when he well, played well, baseball. <laughs> there they could argue that maybe Michael Jordan was a better basketball player. <laughs> All right. So... Back to Hetty. So she's back in Vienna. I think at the time she's probably about 14, 15. She's obsessed with movie star magazines. And then one day she skips school and sneaks into a place called the Sasha Film Studios, also known as the Film Fabrique. Mm. The Film Fabrique was kind of the MGM of Austria at that time. So this must be the early 19... Well, yeah, I guess it's the late 1920s, early 1930s. She meets the director... Alexis Granowski, but in other places he's called Krakowski. So I guess it just depends on the Anglicized version of it. Hmm. He notices that she's incredibly beautiful and he starts to coach her. Now, everywhere else they say that her first film was a film called Geld auf der Straße, which means money on the street. But she says that her first film was actually Ecstasy, which is a very controversial film, Hmm. which kind of propelled her into infamous stardom. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. So, she's still kind of an unknown actress. The film is about to come out. She decides to go into stage acting. And her big role at the age of 18 is playing Empress Sisi. Hmm. the wife of Franz Josef. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so, this is where her first husband, Friedrich Mandel, or as he was known as Fritz, sees her. He sees her on stage, he's absolutely enamored. Mm. He sends her bouquets of flowers and asks her out. On their first date, he had a stopwatch to time all of their activities. Okay. Hot. Yeah. It's <laughs> right up my alley.
1: <laughs> well, I carry a log book, you know, every time we go out.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's called your credit card. Um, <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about Fritz Mandel. So Fritz Mandel was Austrian. He was born... In 1900 in Vienna, he was an Aquarius. He was considered to be like the Henry Ford of Austria. He had that type of reputation.
1: Uh, He created the 40-hour work week in Austria as well.
0: Probably, and (laughs) probably was a little (laughs) anti-Semitic. However, so he was a fascist, but he was against Nazism. Hmm. He took over his father's company, which was called Hirtenberger Patronenfabrik. Say it back to me.
1: Hirtenberger Patronenfabrik. Oh,
0: I'm so impressed.
1: <laughs> See, I listen. You do. <laughs> <laughs> so not like would, everybody says. Not like
0: everybody says. <laughs> so he's a munitions guy. Uh, he was raised Catholic, but his father was Jewish. Mm-hmm. So okay. he had Jewish. A lot of people were assimilated. So they were. A lot of people here in Austria were Jewish, but assimilated to the culture. It was safer for them to be Catholic or Christian. So,
1: yes, yeah, like the the third generation Lebanese Americans who's like Joe Abdel Fattah.
0: Yes, that was exactly it. Yeah. Joe.
1: Yeah, well, he's Joe, so obviously he's assimilated.
0: <laughs> so Fritz became very very wealthy in his 30s, in the 30s due to stockpiling of weapons and for furnishing Austria's Heimwehr, which is their militia. So this is pre-Anschluss, mm. but war is a coming. And so he's becoming incredibly wealthy. As pretty much an arms dealer, Mandel falls in love with Hetty.
2: Okay.
0: And they both have partners who past partners who committed suicide.
1: Well, that's uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, that's how you, they have common things. Common things. Some yeah. people would call that trauma bonding, <laughs> but other people would be like, "Wow, did you have a partner that committed suicide?"
1: <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, that's how you know you're meant for each other. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Some people have a fondness for cycling.
0: Yeah. No, this uh. this one was, this is bad. So Ooh. in her case, her past boyfriend was a German called Ritter Franz von Hochstatten, who hanged himself when Hedy didn't want to give up her career to marry him. And Mandel's ex-girlfriend, Eva May, was a German actress who killed herself when he didn't want to marry her. So,
1: hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think
1: they were very dramatic, no?
0: I mean, they're just... just, I mean, come on. This was the time. It was a very dramatic time. It was the 1920s, 1930s. Lots of new thoughts and feelings.
1: I mean, if you really think about it, I think the the movies became the talkies. Like, you know, they introduced sound because, like, after a while... Like, it was more dramatic back then. Your hand isn't of your mouth. It's fine. My hand... (laughs) Listen, I'm so understood. I want everyone to listen back to the beginning when apparently I was moving so much that I was disrupting the whole podcast. Actually, that would be helpful.
0: I think so.
1: I'm very nervous.
0: Don't be nervous.
1: Is it coming through? No. Okay, good.
0: I'll tell you later. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so back to this budding romance of two very sad people.
1: By the way, we're hitting our stride right now on this podcast. I'm starting to feel like I'm adding in. Nice little morsels right when it's needed.
0: You literally use Bo Jackson as <laughs> an example.
1: You know, some kid out there is going to be, kid, <laughs> some middle aged man out there is going to be like, yeah, I remember that commercial. Cartoon. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I don't remember it that way. No.
0: Well. <laughs> All right, let's go back to these uh, lovers. So, Mandel asks her parents. Uh, if they they can get married. And I think they saw his bank account and said yes. And he... I read this in one of the articles that he wanted her to convert to Catholicism Mm. before they got married so that they could get married at Karlskirche, the church down the street. Which is interesting because she never, ever mentions her Judaism anywhere. So Mm. I don't know why she would have to technically convert because her mother was raised catholic and raised her catholic as well to a point but again this could be just something that she hides
1: well wouldn't uh, i i'm not too familiar but if you go get married in a church like you have to show that you've been baptized or communion blah 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 i'm or assuming how far back do they look Wait, how
0: much money does he have
1: well if he has the money it would be like yeah we, we have all totally the people
0: do my bat mitzvah there <laughs> <laughs> Very pretty. Um, Okay, so they get married in August 1933. Okay. Their married life was ridiculously opulent. So staff of 20. They had a 10 room apartment in Vienna, which actually nowadays doesn't sound as. Are you counting how many rooms are in our apartment right now? (laughs) (laughs) You
1: know my counting face.
0: Um, <laughs> so, uh, the, the apartment is in Vienna and is on Schratzenbergplatz and the Zurich bank offices are actually housed in there. I think we got a little bit nervous when I was taking pictures. Uh, they also had a castle in Salzburg hmm. and they had pure gold dishware. I hope was dishwasher safe. She apparently loved to hunt and was a great shot. Hmm. Yeah, now natty like Hetty.
1: <laughs> I just had some, uh... Deer jerky this morning, so... Oh, God. I just thought the audience (laughs) would need to know. You could get it at Nashmart. Very nice. Yeah, it is. Highly recommended.
0: Three euros for two uh, two sticks. Wings? Links. Oh, links. (laughs) (laughs) You know what, here shoes. Anyway, so... Immediately, she starts to feel that she's constantly being monitored by Mandel. He would have people come and follow her she just always felt that she was trapped mm. she was worried that if she left him he would hurt her family so she stayed he would host these crazy dinner parties and guests included Mussolini and
1: huh, little Benito <laughs>
0: Little Benito, and Hitler however there are a lot of doubts that Hitler ever would have been there because of Mandel's background and being Jewish
1: wait which Hitler is it Billy Hitler, Hitler in Hitler Ireland, Hitler. or is it Adolf? The Hitler. Oh, okay.
0: Uh, Adolf Hitler. So, they're saying, a lot of people were saying that he would never be seen at Mandel's on account of his Jewishness. However, I feel like he would have been there because Mandel was furnishing Austria and Germany with munitions. Hmm. Maybe he went through the back door. And during the dinners, they were incredibly boring. They would talk about weaponry. And the whole time, Hetty was expected to just sit there and look pretty. Of course she's listening, because she's...
1: Very interested in these things.
0: And she's very smart. Uh, When you talk about things from your work, I tend to zone out. Because I'm not so smart. (laughs) No,
1: you're very smart.
0: (laughs) Very smart. So, one time during the marriage, she accepted an invite from a nobleman who had a key to a private room in the Hofburg. Your face looks upset.
1: Well, is he showing a display?
0: Well, I mean... I would go because of the crown molding and the tapestries.
1: We have good crown molding here, okay?
0: <laughs> so as she's in this room with this nobleman, there's suddenly a knock on the door mm. and it's her husband Mandel with a rifle. Hetty jumps out the window and gets stuck in a snowbank. Now Mandel looks out the window I'm, I'm
1: just thinking of the sound. You know, like
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: you know, like when you fall into a snowbank if especially if it's powder.
0: It's probably powder it, it, would, it would
1: actually Probably be pretty funny If you look at it but. Yeah
0: and she was wearing Like a little Summer dirndl Even though it was winter So she gets stuck In well, the snowbank Why snow was bank. she
1: wearing A summer dirndl
0: Because it was probably Really warm in the Hofburg Yeah Yeah <laughs> I think Yeah
1: <laughs> Usually Nobody jumps into A snowbank Unless they have Nothing to explain So that's what I think happened
0: so, anyway, she gets stuck in the snowbank and he puts down the rifle and says, Get her out of the snow, she'll catch a cold. Jewy. So <laughs> Jewish. Mandel, you can try to hide it, but I see you. Oh, and then, by the way, for people who don't know, I am Jewish, so I can make those jokes. Uh, <laughs> she has a quote that says about Mandel He had not married me, he had collected me exactly like a business prize. So. Now let's talk about her film, Ecstasy. Well, you
1: could marry somebody and also collect them as a prize.
0: <laughs> Did she just get something engraved with that quote for me? <laughs> <laughs> Number one prize.
1: <laughs> Still makes you a prize. Aw. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> just don't jump into a snowbank. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Look, the Hofburg. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care where it is. <laughs>
1: In a little the a little turtle in the middle of the winter.
0: I would wear a sensible sweater. Ah. Okay, so as I mentioned before, the second film she filmed was the film called Ecstasy. This is the one that was very controversial. Now I'm going to talk about it. So she was so she filmed this before she married Mandel. I don't mm. know how long it took for them to edit it. I'm guessing she was probably only about 16 or 17 at the time of the filming because she got married at 18. So, the film was filmed outside of Prague, in a forest. She did not know when she signed up for the film that there would be nudity in it. Mm. She initially refused, but the director threatened that she would have to pay back all the investors. The director said that he would compromise and that to film it, he would film from far, far away when she's naked. Mm. And that they wouldn't be able to tell that she's nude.
1: How smart was
0: she? (laughs) She's a kid at this point. Uh, that's true. She's young. And let's not victim blame. No, no, no. Um, but some people who have analyzed the film say, actually, uh, the cameras were very close. So she would have not seen... They wouldn't have been so far away. But who knows? I don't want to victim blame. She was very young. And she did not have proper guidance. So the plot of the film is... I mean,
1: she developed Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and things like that. But then you would think she would know about zoom lenses.
0: Well, he said he was going to be, well, that's what she said. She said that he used a telescopic lens yeah. to zoom in. But then other people said, no, that technology, I don't know. But mm. I'm, I'm going to say I feel bad for her. Because mm. she was 16, 17 years old. No, no, I Yeah.
1: <laughs> not, I say no more. I
0: say no more. So the plot of the film is this. Hetty marries a man. It's their wedding night. And he turns out to be impotent. Mm. Out of frustration, she goes horseback riding.
1: <laughs> there were no dryers back then. No, so. no,
0: no, no, not for that reason. <laughs> That's reality what in this film. She goes to a lake. She takes off her clothes. She goes swimming. Her clothes are on the back of the horse, and mm. the horse takes off. Yeah. So there's scenes of her running nude through the forest. And then she meets a guy who falls in love with her. They start to have an affair. Hmm. Then there are th- like three different alternate endings, but in the end, I think she has a baby with this man and her husband kills himself. Okay. The controversy about this film wasn't so much her nudity, because this is Europe. It was her orgasm scene. So in the film, <laughs> you look very confused.
1: No, go on. <laughs> you you have me enthralled right now. <laughs> what is this scene?
0: In the scene, she's on her back. Mm. She has her arms over her face and she is moaning and looks like she's having the big O. Now in reality, the director was under the couch poking her with a pin in her butt (laughs) to elicit a painful response that I guess he believes looks like a Well but the thing
1: is I'm I'm trying to figure out how long like this is probably like four PM they've been taping since the morning and they're like, no, that's not how you do the face. And then the guy has he's like, I'm gonna okay, and action and yeah. he's with a pin in the butt. I think
0: that pretty much was it <laughs>
1: <laughs> We're never gonna make it to dinner. Yeah.
0: yeah. Like, <laughs> bring pin. bring out the pins. Yeah, so she 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 does talk about that in the book and that's kind of known about it so the big the big controversy of the the film in the end is the fact that they've never shown a woman probably enjoying herself (laughs) in the 1930s no the fact that there's that type of look and yeah she's yeah so that's the controversy now the movie came out the same year she's married the Pope denounces it the Pope the Pope he's like let me watch it first
1: (laughs) (laughs) after five viewings (laughs)
0: Um, The Holy See sees nothing. (laughs) (laughs) This is wrong. It was a movie night. So apparently even Hitler denounced it as well. Mm. Um, Some sources say because he thought it was smut or because of her Jewish heritage. She takes her parents to the premiere. Oh boy. And she tells them it's going to be artistic. (laughs) Because I don't think she really realized how much would be shown. Her parents storm out of the premiere. Now, her husband, Mandel, wants to see this film. Uh Uh-oh. And he gets a copy of it, and he does a private viewing at their home with his most trusted lieutenants. Mm. He's enraged, and at the end of it, he goes and tells his staff to buy every copy they can find of the film. That makes sense. (laughs) The problem, though, is the more that is bought, the more, more is produced. <laughs> produced. And he spent the it's a hit. It's a <laughs> hit. he spent the equivalent of six point three million dollars. She's a star. <laughs>
1: <laughs> little, little did he you know that she would invent the technology that would make it impossible to buy out all the the smut in the world.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. that's a good point. Actually, you don't even pay for it anymore. <laughs> So four years have passed in this marriage, uh, this very unhappy marriage, and it's 1937 and she's ready to leave. So one night at a dinner party, when Mandel leaves the room, she begs a British colonel named Ryder to help her escape. He says he'll help her. Party ends and then Mandel comes in with a tape recorder and he heard the whole thing. Mm. So he makes sure that she's being watched more and more so she can't escape. She finally sees a chance to escape when it's time to hire a new maid. Okay. She hires a maid that looks very similar to her. Huh. One weekend, her maid tells her that she's heading to Paris to see her soldier boyfriend. Hetty crushes up sleeping pills and put it in the maid's tea. What? And had been testing this for a while, so this poor woman probably thought she was anemic. She crushes up the sleeping pills. She goes drink. on the
1: train to Paris herself.
0: Pretty much, but what she does is she, before that, she had been mailing her jewelry to a trusted friend and money. Uh-huh. She then takes the maid's clothes and steals her car and drives to the train station.
1: <laughs> oh, Hetty. Oh, Hetty.
0: Understandably, she wanted to escape, but I kind of feel sorry for this maid. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because she, in in the book, it says that she stole the car. The documentary it says she biked to the train station. It doesn't really matter, but I think stealing the maid's car would probably be a little bit more insulting. Well, who? What?
1: I mean, back then, cars were a very hard commodity to get. What maid was having a car? <laughs> She's
0: very well paid maid. Actually, that's <laughs> a really good point. It Probably was a bicycle. It was probably a
1: bicycle. Yeah,
0: it's probably a bicycle. Yeah. <laughs> so she does make her way to Paris with most of her jewelry. And then she files for divorce in France from Mandel, and you know the reason that she like uses to divorce him? Mm-hmm. Desertion. Desertion. From his end. What? <laughs> She's the
1: one that ran away.
0: Yeah, but she said he traveled a lot for business. Ah. Uh, Reverse Uno card, that guy. Yeah,
1: it's like you know you go after the the strengths of the person. <laughs> you know. It's like uh, George W. He's like, yeah, the, the guy who won two Purple Hearts, he's, uh, he's a softie, war,
0: softie on war. Softie on war. John Perry,
1: uh, that's uh, for those who did not live through that.
0: You were going to be doing the American portion of this podcast. Yes. All right, so let's talk about Fritz Mandel and what happened to him because he's Austrian and I thought he's quite an interesting character. So she leaves in 1937. They get divorced. Mm. Because of his Jewish background, his company and property are expropriated by the Nazis. After the Anschluss in 1938, he sends his funds and himself to Switzerland. In the mid-1940s, after the war, he finds himself in Brazil and then goes on to Argentina.
2: Mm.
0: He identifies as a refugee in Argentina, but he arrives with a Rolls Royce and an entourage and a ton of gold bullion. (laughs) In 1951, he becomes an Argentine citizen, and I always wonder about that with like Argentinian supermarkets after World War II. Yeah. So. so, oh hello, Fritz, how are you? Oh no, yeah. a little awkward. No, no Fritz, no Fritz, <laughs> no, no, <Pepe. laughs> so Fritz Mandel is. Closely involved with Perón. Okay. Uh, he was the husband of Eva Perón. Yes. Just like Dwayne Wade is famous for... Otherwise known as Evita. Evita. Like Dwayne Wade is famous for being married to Gabriel Union.
1: Listen, actually, uh, yeah, no, Evita, I, I remember, actually was uh, probably Madonna's best uh, acting work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I kept my promise, don't keep your distance.
0: <sighs> I actually never saw the film. Anyway, it's a, it's a good.
1: It's actually a decent movie.
0: Back to Mandel. All right. So he's friends with the Peron Perons Perons. He dabbles in filmmaking and he ends up opening up a airplane manufacturing company. But then he starts being accused by the Americans for being a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> so when the Peron regime ends, he moves back to Vienna. He ends up taking up over his old company and then passes in 1977. His inheritance is argued over for years. And Hetty, in fact, does talk to him once in a while yeah. in the later years. So I think they kind of get a fri- have a friendship afterwards. So now after her divorce, she's in Paris. And her father passes away. Mm. And she's absolutely devastated because they were so close. But she knows she can't go back to Vienna. It's believed that the stress of the Nazi occupation led to her father's early death. He died yeah. of a heart attack. I think he was... Heartbroken. Of course, she's absolutely traumatized, and she talks about his advice had always been, "Be yourself." That's a joke. Be yourself. Choose and take what you want. And we're going to take a little quick break. Yeah, be right back. Did I just press stop?
1: Yes.
0: I said her father had passed, and he gave her the quote, "Be yourself. Choose and take what you want." So after Paris, she makes her way to London. She gets herself an American film agent. And by chance, she meets Louis B. Mayer, head of MGM. Very famous guy. At the time, he was scouting actresses in Europe because the war was starting and he thought he'd get them for super cheap. (laughs) Always a businessman. Always a businessman. He initially offers her a contract of $125 a week, which in today's money is $2,600 a week. She turns it down because she thinks she's worth more. Remember, she was married to a multimillionaire and came from a wealthy family. Ah, okay. So
1: I think she's... High expectations. High
0: expectations. Um, but then she kind of regrets turning it down. Yeah. <laughs> it starts to panic a little bit. So she gets herself onto the SS Normandy, which was a cruise that was going on uh, back to New York mm. with Mayer on it. So she always kind of makes sure on the ship to look her best... So, (laughs) So, uh, Mr. Mayor. And one night she puts on her nicest gown and the jewelry that she has left, because she's been selling her jewelry to survive. And she kind of sashays into the dining room and everybody stops and looks at her. And Mm. Mayor's like, yeah, I've got to hire her. So he offers her $500 a week. Wow. Yeah, a lot of money. Wow. Yeah. And so back in those days, when you worked for a studio, they'd give you contracts so you might not be doing a film but you'd still get paid Mm. and then if you didn't you know do well eventually they would just end your contract but at least you were always on contract which also the bad part was that you were constantly on call Mm. they worked you like a workhorse so she accepts the deal she arrives in New York and then she takes a train to Hollywood which I cannot think of anything worse oh my god how long would that take weeks I guess yeah Yeah. well no
1: (laughs) you you could really like Oregon Trail die (laughs) of dysentery (laughs) I have a whole new family. We but... took a
0: train for two and a half hours to Graz and we almost killed each other. Yeah. <laughs> oh,
1: thank God for air travel.
0: Uh-huh. So she's in the studio and this is a funny quote about Mayer that she tells in the book. She goes, after working a year at MGM, she asked him why he stopped saying hello to her on the lot. And he says, I don't have to because I'm not married to you. <laughs> so... There are two different uh, ideas of how he came that up That was probably from his wife. A hundred percent. Don't say hello to her. Um, so he, there's two sources about... Or two ideas of how the last name Lamar... Because her real name is Hedvig Kiesler. Her nickname was Hetty, so that was already fine. But her last name became Lamar because she says... It, Louis B... Mayer was obsessed with an actress from a long time ago called Barbara Lamar. Mm. But then some people say that it was Mayer's wife who came up with the name because she loved the actress Barbara Lamar. Oh, okay. Either or, one of the mayors came up with the name Lamar for her.
1: And it wasn't because she was a Laker fan and she liked Lamar Odom?
0: No, because Lamar Odom hadn't married Khloe Kardashian (laughs) (laughs) yet.
1: See? You can always bring (laughs) things back to the Kardashians.
0: (laughs) Oh, I Let's can. talk about O.J.
1: bring him back to the Kardashians.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, we can find... Okay, that'll be our next <laughs> that's podcast. A,
1: that's the only two things I can think of.
0: Oh, don't <laughs> worry. I've got, I've got a, whole, a whole stash. So, when she's in Hollywood, MGM sets her up in an apartment and her roommate is a Hungarian actress named Ilona Massey. They get along really, really well at the beginning because they're mm. both European. Uh, But then MGM decides that they should make them rivals for tabloids Mm. because it makes it more fun to have two women fighting. Yeah.
1: Cat fights are awesome.
0: Awesome. Yeah. (laughs) So they end up actually hating each other. (laughs) She's not cast immediately in a film. So in her free time, she studies uh, acting and she learns English at Berlitz Mm. Berlitz, because she didn't actually speak very much English when they first met, which is amazing. She finally moves into a bungalow, and then she gets cast in this film called Algiers. Mm. This is her first huge hit. In the documentary, there's a Not
1: the Battle of Algiers. No. Okay, that's a very famous 1960s. Yeah, no, this was French one. No, yeah. this is the I
0: believe 1938, 39. Oh, okay. That she's in this film, and Mel Brooks in the documentary says that when he saw that film as a child, he said. Quote, I'm going to marry her, or at least buy her dinner and feel her up. <laughs> um, so the film actually ends up inspiring Casablanca to be made. That's how oh. famous, or how, how, what a hit Algiers is. Uh, afterwards, she's offered a role in the film Gaslight, which I've mentioned so many times, because Gaslight is the film that created the term Gaslight. Oh. And it starred Ingrid Bergman. It's one of my favorite films. Uh anyway so she turns down the role Ingrid Bergman gets it who actually also was in Casablanca later. Right. Uh she makes a couple more films but they are flops. So this is when she then meets her second husband Gene Markey. Gene Markey. Gene Markey. He's a screenwriter and they quickly elope to Tijuana in 1939.
1: Father of Markey Mark?
0: Yes. No, it's M A R K E Y. <laughs> okay. Gene Markey. So they elope to Tijuana He's quite a bit older than she is, and everybody is really surprised that she marries him. Uh, In the documentary, they say that he cheats on her a lot Mm. with other starlets, and she's devastated. They get divorced within a year of getting married, but they've adopted a baby named James. Mm. The law at the time, though, is that if a couple adopts a child and divorce within a year of adopting that child, they have to return the child. What? (laughs) (laughs) I mean,
1: sorry, you had 364 days. Yeah, give them back. (laughs) I know you might have built a bond with these parents. But,
0: but... you know, you didn't make it to 364. Well, can I stay
1: with one of them? No. No,
0: no. You gotta go back. It's awful. (laughs) Um, But she ends up fighting to keep the child uh, because apparently she's very in love with this child. Mm. So when I was reading about this in the book, her autobiography, I thought it was so interesting that. She would adopt a child because a lot of Hollywood stars did adopt children, but it turned out it was their biological child that they would have had out of wedlock. Mm. And because there's morality clauses back in the day for actors, you couldn't openly have a child out of wedlock. So you had to so what they would do is say, Oh, so and so I adopted I adopted this child that looks exactly like (laughs) me. (laughs) Incredible. So she never says this in the book. But later on, it turns out that this child probably was her biological child, Mm. but that she had had an affair with a man that turns out to be her third husband. What? While she was married to Jean Markey. Okay. But again... Wait, wait, wait.
1: She was married to the third husband while she's married to the other husband? No,
0: she's married to the second husband.
1: Okay. Adopts
0: this baby, James. Right. They get divorced, and then she marries a, a different man, which I'll talk about shortly. Ah, and the story is that he probably was the biological father ah, of this baby that she had adopted. That gotcha. was probably hers as well. But again, this has not been 100% confirmed <clears throat> that she was the mother of mm. James. Um, when she, he, she passes away, James sues her estate. Okay. She only really had about $2 million at the time when she passed. Uh, and he receives $50,000 oh. of it. So, I'm going to talk a little bit about James because he's not really mentioned in her book after this. Mm. Um, when he was 12, they have a disagreement and he moves out.
1: At 12? <laughs> <laughs> this is where, you know, those Looney Tunes things where you got that stick and yeah, the, 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 <laughs> <laughs> Like, people just moved out. Kid
0: who was 12, what kind of disagreement are we having? <laughs>
1: By the way, I mean the stick and then the sheet wrapped on the side. You right. know that, that was how people moved back then.
0: <laughs> for,
1: for all the youngins who don't a watch Our. Looney Tunes.
0: Um, but yeah, so they had a disagreement. He apparently ends up going to military school and another family adopts him. Oh. Later on, he becomes a police officer in Omaha and is responsible for the death of a 14-year-old girl named Vivian Strong. During the Omaha riot, June 24th, 1969, Vivian was watching a store break-in and then flees with a group of teens. He shoots into the crowd, and she gets shot in the head. Wow. He's charged with manslaughter, but then is acquitted. Hmm. There's not much written about him other than that. He does have a quick interview in the Bombshell documentary, which is fascinating. Hmm.
2: Uh,
0: It seems like he might have passed away Recently, but again, it's hard to confirm. There's right. really not much about him, except for the horrible situation with the young girl, Vivian Strong. Back to her life at this time. Uh, she films a huge hit film called Boomtown with Clark Gable. Oh, And she oh, kind of so
1: she's a big headliner.
0: Big, big, big. Mm-hmm. And now it's 1940. And she's a huge star. She's gone through the divorce with Jean Markey. And it's at this time, she meets a man called George antile who will be the one that she collaborates with regarding frequency hopping, which leads to, the wi- to oh. Wi-Fi. Again, she does not mention any of this in her book. But how does she
1: meet up with, like, the, is she, like, was there a classified ad, like, looking for a brilliant... Uh... No,
0: he's actually a composer. Wow. And I will talk about him later oh, on. So,
1: so from an acoustical level, he's thinking about frequency hopping.
0: Yes. So I will talk about that at part two because it's fascinating. Because when you read the book, she does not even mention anything scientific. She doesn't talk about doing any types of inventions. And at the time she's in her 20s, has adopted a kid, gone through her second divorce, acting in huge films, but Mm. doesn't mention that on the side, she's coming up with incredible technology. So then in the section of the book, she talks about the divorce from Jean. She does a little bit of name-dropping, because mm-hmm. she is a huge star in Hollywood. She says that she hates Ingrid Bergman, <laughs> because she thinks that Ingrid Bergman was terrible to her first husband, Peter Lindstrom. So Ingrid Bergman was a Swedish actress, and she was having an affair with Roberto Rossellini. Oh, okay. Isabella Rossellini's father. right? And at a party, she treated her husband, Peter Lindstrom, very cruelly, according to Hetty, ah. while she was openly having an affair with... Roberto Rossellini. So she always thought that was a terrible yeah. thing of Ingrid. She loved Catherine Hepburn
2: huh.
0: and Bancroft, wife of Mel Brooks. And Sophia Loren, he, she thought was absolutely the most beautiful woman in the world. She fat shames Elizabeth Taylor.
1: <laughs> what? In her book? Yeah. What did she say?
0: She she pretty much just calls her chubby. <laughs> she, I don't know. And then, later in the book, she talks about Judy Garland, who she loves, but also mentions Judy Garland, who would go on these weight loss attempts, because Judy Garland was one of those stars that they would give speed to, right, to kind of get her through scenes and to make her lose weight.
1: <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was the time, I guess. That was the
0: time. Uh, but she seems to really adore uh, Judy Garland. She also mentions being friends with Mickey Hargitay. Oh, yeah. Mariska Hargitay. Dang, dang. Dang, Father. He was a Hungarian bodybuilder. Also, in the book, there's a small little blurb about Kennedy. They dated Which Kennedy. JFK. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> you gotta say. Sorry. Okay, JFK. <laughs> this
1: Robert. <laughs> <laughs> this Ted. <laughs>
0: she did not date Kennedy. I don't know. JFK. She dated JFK briefly, and when she was in Paris, and he asks her out, but she says only if he can bring her oranges. Because they were really rare to find huh. during that time. Right. So he shows up with a bag of oranges, so she agrees to go on a date with him. But then he forgot his wallet, so she has to pay for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Such a wasp. <laughs> <laughs> so this is 1940, 19, yeah, 1940, 1941. War is really taking off. Uh U.S. is on the verge of being very involved. Betty Davis is actually leading a huge amount of war bond selling. Mm -hmm. And Betty Davis also ends up being the godmother of Hetty's daughter later on. Uh, So, in 1940...
1: Whose godmother would be like, uh,
0: she's got uh, Betty Davis eyes. (laughs) So, Betty Davis asks her to come help serve the troops in 1941 in a canteen in downtown LA. Mm Mm-hmm. Hetty says she's washing cups in the canteen, and that's where she meets John Loder on Christmas Eve, Mm. who will be her third husband, father
1: of Kurt Loder. MTV News. Uh,
0: Doubtful, Uh, but but probably. (laughs) I let you go. But but probably father of James, the adopted child. Okay. Uh, John Loder is a British actor, also quite a bit older than she is. Okay. At the time of meeting John Loder, she's also seeing her psychiatrist, who she falls in love with. But in the end, she ends up marrying John Loder, May 27th, uh, 1943.
1: She's been seeing a lot of people.
0: She's been seeing a lot of people. Okay. She's, maybe she's on speed because yeah. she's inventing things. She's acting. she's.
1: <laughs> There's like one future president. Yeah. That, uh, uh, all these people.
0: She's name dropping.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: So uh, after she gets married, she gets pregnant and her mother actually comes to help. Mm. And her mother had left Vienna during the war, was living in London, and then was able to come across. And it was very difficult uh, at that time. The baby is breached but born healthy. Her name is Denise. Mm. And after the birth, she's physically completely fine, but she's in immense pain. Mm. Because it's psychosomatic pain. Or as we like to call it.
1: Psychosomatic.
0: Yeah. So she she's a the therapist and he helps cure her of this at the time that she's, you know, pregnant and and gives birth to this child, she's also rejecting her husband, her third husband. She's kind of...
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. She's going, she's going through it. She talks about um, an old Viennese joke at the time of seeing this psychologist. So this is the joke. A person says to a psychiatrist in Vienna, How can you listen to all those crazy patients all day? And the psychiatrist answers, Who listens? <laughs> <laughs> so... She absolutely loves being a mother. She's obsessed with her daughter. Doesn't mention the adopted child at this point. <laughs> In the film, um, the documentary, Denise says she didn't even remember her brother James. Huh. But then sees a picture of herself with this child and asks Hedy. Yeah. And she kind of talks about him a little bit. But she mm. seems like she was devastated with the loss of him at the age of 12. But it's, it's complicated. At this time, so 1940s, I guess it's kind of war is starting to end. She feels that she doesn't belong in Hollywood. She's a Viennese transplant. She comes from an educated background. She also mentions that at the time, the best-selling book in America is How to Read a Book. Ah. <laughs> so I think she's, yeah.
1: Which, by the way, was the high point of the literacy rate in America. At least there was a want.
0: There was a want. And it was a bestseller. Yeah. People wanted to read a book about how to read a book. So then she decides that she wants to do more with her career um, in acting. She kind of wants to branch out. She goes up to Louis B. Mayer and asks to be released from her contract and to become a free agent. She's been with MGM for six years and he's ticked. Mm. But at the end, they finally reach an agreement That she'll do three MGM films over the next five years and then she can do other films. Her marriage to John Loder, her third husband, is falling apart and she gets pregnant again. Mm. We call that a...
1: A band-aid baby. Band-aid
0: baby. So she asks for a divorce and he says yes. And... As I scroll down. She also adds in randomly that Charlie Chaplin was in love with her. Ah, Well, I mean, she name drops now. (laughs) She name drops. Who has she not met? Nobody. It's amazing. Uh, So March 1st, 1947, she gives birth to Anthony. Tony.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: And three months later, she is divorced. Her claim against John Loder is mental cruelty because he keeps falling asleep all the time. What? I think that's fair. Mental cruelty. Mental cruelty. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> By the way,
1: now I'm sitting wrong. <laughs> I, I, for those who are listening, I am sitting uh, and I had to move my leg a specific way.
0: Yeah, that's mental cruelty. I'm going to put that in the divorce. Papers. Yeah. Um, she also talks about her friendship with old blue eyes himself, Frank Sinatra. Really? Yes. So they, she was very close to him when he was married to Ava Gardner. And then after the divorce, he would cry on her shoulder, saying he didn't understand women, and she responded with, "No man understands women. Women don't understand women." <laughs> <laughs> and then she adds, "Frank is always amusing. I think everyone accepts him except himself."
1: Well, we could do a whole podcast on, on Frank Sinatra. Who did he break up with? With uh, he had a bodyguard give a message.
0: Yeah, so he had his bodyguard throw a drink. On a girlfriend he was breaking up with. He knocked on her (laughs) hotel door, threw a drink at her, said, It's over. (laughs) For Frank. For (laughs) Frank. Goodbye. So she also was friends with Gloria Vanderbilt, mother of Ah. Anderson Cooper. Uh, So then in 1949, she films Samson and Delilah, and it is a huge, huge hit. She plays Delilah. Really? Yeah. Okay. And it's kind of that time where. Biblical stories are very sexy. Like the, the women are very like the, the, the what Biblical
1: stories have you been?
0: You know the ones I'm talking about where. It's sexy like, biblical stories? Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, I grew up Muslim, so I. Didn't even... <laughs> what what
0: if is... you suddenly convert? You're like, sorry, I'm watching my sexy biblical films. No, they would have like those 1950s films where the women are wearing like togas and it was very suggestive.
1: But they were biblical.
0: Well, biblical story, metaphorical stories, maybe. Oh, okay. Yeah, we'll watch a couple at Easter. So she <laughs> films <laughs> Absinthe and Delilah. It is the second grossing film of the decade after *Bomb with the Wind. So big. Mm. So she's in her 30s, but she's still a hot star. Uh, she does a film with Bob Hope. And something, something with a spy, I forget the name of the film. She then decides she needs to go on a real holiday. She's gone through a divorce. She's given birth to two kids. She's done a lot of films. So she goes to Acapulco. And that's where she meets her fourth husband.
1: Fourth husband? Wait. Really? Yeah. Oh, geez. I was not. I, if you had given me a number, I would have said
0: two. No. We're, we're on number four now. Ted Stauffer, or Stauffer. Owner of a broken down restaurant in a- a- Acapulco. And he was a former orchestra leader. But she's really bored. So she starts dating him.
1: <laughs> well, how old is she now?
0: She's in her thirties. Okay. And uh, four
1: husbands and, by thirty.
0: Yeah. Well, well it was different back then. Wow. Dating was different. <laughs> it's much more expensive. Um, he's totally broke. His name's Teddy. He's totally broke. His restaurant's falling apart. But because she starts hanging out in this restaurant in Acapulco, everybody comes to visit. So she says he's a hard worker, but a very jealous man. They get married June twelfth, nineteen fifty one. Okay. The day of the wedding, she asks Teddy, where are we going to live? And he says, Acapulco. And she says, and that was the end.
1: (laughs) Well, I think there's sometimes questions you ask before you get married. Yeah. You know? Maybe. Favorite color? (laughs) Where you want to live? Like... (laughs) Is that, is that what you mentioned at the, you know, honeymoon, day one? Okay, where are we living? Acapulco. Bye. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. So, she, Well, she does live there for nine months with her kids, but then she moves back to Hollywood. Okay. So it lasted less than a year. So at this point of the book, there is a really long section of transcripts between her and her psychiatrist. Mm. So this is where I kind of question why she sued the publisher about her book, because they wouldn't have access to these transcripts. Right. Um. Or maybe this part is real. So that's why it's really hard to read this book and then try to figure out what is real and what's not.
1: Well, she her point was that she thought they made up a lot of stuff about yeah, it. Yeah,
0: they made up the embellished things. Ah, okay. Uh, everything that I'm kind of telling you has been pretty much verified mm. through the documentary and other articles. But this long transcript, it kind of shows how intelligent she is and how she really is, she looks into herself and tries to figure out why she is the way she is. Um, so it's it's fascinating. Um, she's broke now, and uh, she's been through four divorces, Mm -hmm. and she's kind of, her career is drying up a little bit, and she decides that she wants to start producing films. So she looks for financing and ends up meeting a Texan named Howard Lee, and he comes from oil money in Texas. He's smitten, and he immediately picks up the phone when she says she's looking for an investment in her film. And he calls a director in, Vo- in Rome and sets up everything in Italy for her to do this film. Hmm. He says to her, pretty much as soon as they meet, I'm in love with you, but I'm not proposing to you. But someday I will. Okay. <laughs> they date, and she heads to Italy, but the whole film is a disaster and costs too much money, and I don't think it was ever really released. Huh. And then she marries the Texan, Howard Lee, December twenty second, 1953. Huh. She moves to Houston with her kids, and she spends tons of money renovating his house. She puts in a pool. She goes over the top. He, They fight a lot, and she complains that he goes to bed in his clothes and his shoes. He sleeps fully clothed with his shoes on.
1: Well, if you watch American TV, that's what people do. They sleep with their shoes on.
0: Yeah, so maybe.
1: No, no, but, I, well...
0: I, don't, I, yeah, I was, mean, of
1: all the things...
0: I. I, yeah, I don't really know. Thought it is strange. That is strange. And he just has to be ready. And I think it, I think he's one of these people who has so much money. But he was, she says that she changes the way he looks and dresses. I think she saw him as a project.
1: Well, what's going on in Texas? I mean, the whole idea is like Texas is, you know, Second Amendment, gun rights. Like you got to be ready.
0: You got to be ready. You got to wear like, your shoes. Maybe
1: somebody's coming in at any moment. Maybe things are really chaotic in Texas.
0: That could be it.
1: And I've always been so. Yeah. Well, you we learn something every day.
0: <laughs> Wear your shoes to bed in Texas. <laughs> you never uh,
1: know what's going to happen.
0: <laughs> uh, in the documentary, it's funny because her kids mention that she gets a Texan twang, but with a Viennese accent, <laughs> which sounds amazing. Yeah, It's <laughs> <laughs> Not gay. Um, so she, at this time, she also falls in love with the Aspen because they go there skiing. And she used to ski all the time when she was in Austria. So she convinces Howard to open up a hotel resort called Villa Lamar.
1: Villa Lamar.
0: Villa Lamar. And apparently does very, very well.
1: Hmm.
0: He does take her back to Vienna. I think it's maybe one of the only times she goes back to Vienna for a holiday. And she says that was like their, their best time. They have this amazing couple months in Vienna. She gets to see her old city because you can tell that she's... loves homesick. Yeah, homesick and loves Vienna. And it was, you know, something that she always missed. But as soon as they go back to Texas... They get into a huge fight, and he says she's spending too much money, and his family never liked her, so she moves back to Beverly Hills. And I think she was married to him for about five, six years, one of her... Oh, she
1: really, really (laughs) stuck it out. Stuck
0: it out, one of her longer (laughs) marriages. So she moves back to Beverly Hills. Soon after they move back, her son Tony gets hit by a car. He lives, but he's in a coma for like a week. And it just destroys her. She ends up getting pneumonia. She's losing her hair. And the divorce to Howard is going on. Oof. She's not feeling well, so she sends her body double to stand in for her at court. <laughs> <laughs> it's like only murders in the building. Yeah. <laughs> the judge apparently is pissed. <laughs>
1: Did the judge figure out that the body double was I think
0: so. And he was like, I don't think it works this way. So the judge is enraged and she ends up losing a ton of her settlement. It's a very, very messy divorce. And then she ends up dating and marrying her divorce lawyer. (laughs) Husband number six. Six. Louis J. Wait, is
1: this going into ten?
0: No, 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 no. This is the last one. This is the last one. This is the last one. So, How old is she here? She is now in her 50s. Okay. So she marries, mar- uh, marries Louis J., uh, I guess her, f- 1963, she was born in
1: 1915. Oh, no, no, she she mid-40s. would be mid-40s, mid-40s. yeah. Mid-40s.
0: Um, so they get married March 4th, 1963. She claims that she didn't really love him, but she was so broke after the Texan divorce. And she wanted to make sure her kids were taken care of. They only last two years, and she claims in court that he was an alcoholic and would only talk about football and law. <laughs> <laughs> so, at this time, after this last divorce, the sixth divorce, her kids say that she's starting to change. Mm. She has erratic behavior, and then in the film, this is, we, this is when we find out about Dr. Feelgood. Mm. This guy, his name is Max Jacobson. Jacobson. Wait,
1: Dr. Feelgood, the, the, well, I know it as the 80s rock song.
0: Yeah, this is, that probably was the inspiration for it.
1: Dr. Feelgood.
0: Yeah, so his real name was Max Jacobson. Mm-hmm. He was a German Jewish doctor who escaped the Nazis in 1938. Okay. He set up a practice on the Upper East Side and he would give vitamin B shots to very wealthy people. These shots were actually a mixture of meth and amphetamines. Oh my God. <laughs> And side effects. I feel great. Thank <laughs> you, Dr. <doctor> feel good.
1: <laughs> Feeling and down and lethargic.
0: Come see Try doctor. some vitamin B. Yeah, vitamin B shots. Are you
1: sure this is vitamin B? Yeah. Yeah, yeah
0: it's all good, baby. <laughs> the side effects could be hyperactivity, wild mood swings, and anxiety. Oh, my God. JFK used him to help with his back pain. Um, but the White House doctors, after 37 visits, put a stop to it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no more Dr. Feelgood. For no me. more Dr.
0: Feelgood. His patients included, besides Hetty, Judy Garland, Elizabeth Taylor, Marlena Dietrich, Tennessee Williams, Elvis Presley, and Mickey Mantle. Ah. Because he had the flu, so he went for a Dr. Feelgood shot. It caused an abscess on his hip, which cost him from playing in 1961. Oof. People should have stopped the doctor at that point with Mickey, but they said it was always hard to tell if he was sick or hungover. Yeah. <laughs> so. He
1: yeah, was a uh, raging alcoholic.
0: Yeah. So that was. I thought you'd like that.
1: That's Little crazy. Side note.
0: So because she's seeing Dr. Feel Good and she's high on meth, uh, she starts to become a monster and abuse her children Oof. during this time. And her life just kind of falls apart and she becomes almost this punchline in Hollywood. And. She also starts to have plastic surgery, and the <laughs> funny thing is, while she's getting surgery, she tells the doctors what to do to hide the scars. Like she, she's so inventive <laughs> that she's like, when you pull the face back, put the scar behind the ears. Like they weren't doing this until Hetty was record.
1: <laughs> Some guys like,
0: yeah, you know, we could put it behind the ears. Why do we think of that? Yeah, she's brilliant. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. So. She continues to struggle financially, and her career is completely dried up, and she gets a cameo in a movie, which is supposed to be her big comeback role, in in uh, 1966. But then, on January 28th, she's arrested for shoplifting. Hmm. Uh, $86 worth of merchandise. She had tens of thousands of dollars on her. What year was this? 1966. Oh. And in the end, she's luckily found not guilty, but hmm. then she's fired from this film, and... This is where her book ends. So she was writing this autobiography right after she got arrested for shoplifting. Mm. Um, And it's really tragic because the book kind of ends with that. But she has like a section where she talks about the differences between Europe and America. Mm -hmm. And then she has some funny quotes at the end of the book, which I will read to you. First one is, American men as a group seem to be only interested in two things, money and breasts. (laughs) it's about right cannot confirm or deny (laughs) her other quote i like very much is i can excuse anything but boredom boring people don't have to stay that way (laughs) she also goes on to say i think women are concerned too much with their clothes men don't really care that much about women's clothes if they like a girl chances are they'll like her clothes (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And this is the a same goes for eyebrows. Eyebrows. <laughs> and then this is my favorite one ever. I don't understand why it came up, but she goes, I have always found matadors are impotent or close to it. I wish somebody would tell me why.
1: <laughs> well I mean, what was her sample size?
0: <laughs> How many matadors did She's she meet? Like, <laughs>
1: Listen, I met seven of them.
0: Six out of them. were like, six out of the seven. Very bizarre. And so that's pretty much the end of the book, and she ends the book with Zan. So when I finished the book, I was very ticked to find out that a lot of it probably isn't true, and that she sued, and she was countersued by somebody else. It was a whole thing. And I was also confused that there was nothing about her scientific endeavors. Mm -hmm. So then I had to... I watched the documentary, and I read some articles. So... I'll talk first about what happened to Hetty after the book ends, like what happened in real life, and then, of course, talk about what put her back on the me- radar, pun intended, mm-hmm. when it comes to her scientific uh, discoveries. And I guess we'll just take a quick break before I get to that. So this is what happens to Hetty after her book ends. Her son, Tony Loder, becomes an actor. He's featured in a couple of features about Hetty. He's in the documentary, Bombshell. Okay. And... He seemed to truly adore her, even understanding when she went through her meth stage. <laughs> but he seems to have loved her. He actually just passed away this year on May twenty fourth. Oh. Her daughter, Denise, married Phillies player Larry Colton. What? Do you know Larry Colton?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Schmidt might be the, the earliest Phillies player I'd know.
0: Your favorite team, the Phillies.
1: No. Worst <laughs> <laughs> Don't, don't get me started about people from Philly.
0: <laughs> anyway. Even
1: their sandwich. I so mean.
0: she's an art teacher and a talented artist. Hedy was also... I know you're so mad about Philadelphia. Oh, though. you
1: got me so mad. <laughs> Hetty
0: was actually a talented <laughs> painter as well.
1: I mean, the cheese they put on the Gloria cheese Gloria
0: Vanderbilt bought one of her paintings. We'll talk about Philadelphia afterwards. Oh. Okay, so as I said, she, after the publication of her book, she sues. In the 1970s, she starts to remove herself from the public eye. Mm. In 1974, she sues Warner Brothers for $10 million because Mel Brooks uses the name Hedley Lamar in Blazing Saddles. Oh, yeah. Uh huh. Mel Brooks said that he was flattered and apologized for almost using her name. <laughs> he said she didn't get the joke.
2: <laughs>
0: they settled out of court for a nominal amount. Uh, In the documentary, she's also interviewed in the 1970s by an Austrian TV station. It's so interesting to hear her speak German. like She has such a lovely accent. She talks about wanting to make a film and is nostalgic for all the things she experienced in her youth in Vienna, the opera, Spanish writing school, and Schönbrunn. In 1981, she moves to Miami Beach. Her eyesight starts to fail. She gets more plastic surgery, and it's botched, so she kind of just removes herself. She does shoplift again in the 90s. Um, to
1: be fair, 80s plastic surgery probably is, you know, there's a golden age of something. That probably has to be the worst age. I mean, look at Michael a, Jackson. It was and,
0: a terrible, terrible time.
1: I mean, how did they continue? Like how do people say, you know what, we keep doing this, it's gonna get better. I
0: don't know. I don't know. I'll <laughs> let you know when I sign up for my things. Oh no. no, no. <laughs> so she um yeah, she shoplifts again in the 80s and she's acquitted. Now this is interesting. So a large, so you know, Corel Draw.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Coral Draw.
0: Corel, Corel, Coral Draw.
1: Wow, that brings up—that's an old uh, piece of software. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. in 1996, they did a contest to have something for their uh, annual software suite cover design. Hmm. It's a contest, and somebody does a Corel Drawn image of Lamar, huh. and it wins, and. For several years, as of 1997, it was featured on boxes of the software suite. Hmm. Lamar sues the company for using her image without her permission. They countered that she did not own rights to the image. The parties reached an undisclosed settlement in 1998. Oh. So at this time, at late 90s, she talks on the phone for about five to six hours a day. She lives mostly in isolation, doesn't want to see her family, until her death in 2000. Oh. Heart disease, age 85. Uh, In the documentary, her son mentions that she calls him January 1st, 2000 and tells him to turn on the TV It's the New Year's Day concert at the Musikverein, a very famous one, and she says look it's Vienna And then I think a couple weeks later she passes Um, For her death she had asked that her ashes be sprinkled in the Vienna woods So her son does that and the Central Friedhof, the central cemetery in Vienna has now a memorial for her I think it was built in 2014 and kind of talking now about why she's famous in other things other than acting. <clears throat> we know that her father spent hours explaining mechanics to her on their walks. Also about the music box that she took apart and reassembled it. What was interesting, she never mentions that she had a relationship with Howard Hughes. Have you heard the Howard?
1: The, the guy with the, the planes. Right? Yeah. yeah, and
0: he was in the film, or with the film Aviator with right. Leonardo DiCaprio, which we should watch. And he was also a film producer. He's actually Stan Lee's inspiration for Iron Man. Really? Ah, okay. Uh, oh, and what I did not mention is that Hetty Lamar was actually the inspiration for Catwoman. Really? And also the Snow White, the original Disney cartoon that was based on her image. Huh. Um, so Howard Hughes is an incredibly eccentric man. And then Hetty and... Howard Hughes dated for a little while and during his courtship he took her on a tour of his airplane factory. Okay. He wanted to make the fastest plane in the world. After the tour she buys a book on fish and birds and studies their wings and their fins of the fastest of each of the species. Mm. She then sketches these wings onto a plane. So before wings of a plane were kind of just came out straight. Right. She kind of creates the idea of them going the angle and Mm. kind of tapering and she shows the sketch to him and he's like Calls her a complete genius. Um, and then they broke up. <laughs> Men. Uh, but she does get her revenge because she says he was the worst lay she ever had. <laughs> um, so, it's 1940. And this is when she finally meets this guy, George Antile. Uh, she went to go see him because he had apparently created a cream that would grow boobs. Bigger boobs. Wait, who did this? Hedy Lamar. Oh, George Antile, the music composer, composer, created a cream to grow bigger boobs. She wanted bigger boobs, (laughs) so she goes to see him. Yeah. Doesn't work. Right. But they start talking. And let me tell you a little bit about George Antile. So he was born in Trenton, New Jersey. Oh, okay. Trenton makes, and the world takes... (laughs)
1: You know, this guy sounds classy already. <laughs> he's like, oh, I come from Jersey. I have a makeup cream that makes boobs.
0: Let me try it out on you. Um,
1: <laughs> well, I, I gotta apply him.
0: <laughs> there he is. Um, so he's born in 1900. He actually ends up living in Paris in the 1920s above the Shakespeare and Company bookstore. Mm. Uh, he would hang out with James Joyce, Ezra Pound, and Hemingway. Oh. So it's very midnight in Paris. Right, right. The Lost Generation. The Lost Generation. And um, I hated the way that Rachel McAdams was dressed in that film. It still bothers me. It's still a great film. still bothers me. Her her outfits were horrible.
1: That guy who plays Hemingway, I think, was a genius.
0: What was his name? We always forget his name. Uh, But whenever
1: we see him, we're like, yeah, Yeah, he's that that guy. guy." (laughs)
0: Uh, Jewish. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, so George Untile uh was a composer for piano he would perform uh, perform in berlin in the early 30s but the nazi party was starting to ban avant-garde music so he would create very avant-garde music for the time mm. so he headed back to the states he was considered the bad boy of music i think that was literally the, his autobiography was called the bad boy of music he was then devastated when his little brother is shot down by a soviet bomber and that really pushes him to do something for the war effort mm. so let me move on. Okay, so at the time, this is 1940s, there are boats of Jewish refugees fleeing Europe. Okay. And German U-boats are tor- torpedoing them. Mm. So there's one case where like a boat carrying all these Jewish refugees is s- shot and it sinks in the sea. Hetty is devastated by this and she wants to help. She's filming nonstop at this time, but at night she would invent. So pretty much she was up 24 hours a day. Wow. So she would do a film, and then she'd go to her office at just... home and invent. At the time, there was a shortage of Coca-Cola, so she created a little tablet that would turn the water into Coke. Huh. Never took off because different states had... Wait, to... is
1: this like the precursor to Alka-Seltzer?
0: Probably. Ah. <laughs> uh So then she's suddenly inspired by the Filco Magic Box, which was an essentially a remote-control radio. Okay. So this is like 1940... They've created this remote control that you can be in your bed and you can change the radio station. Oh. So she's starting to think about this. And this is where she meets up with Antile and they start to come up with an idea. So i got to read this from Wikipedia because it's really difficult to explain. During World War II, Lamar realized that a single radio-controlled torpedo could severely damage or sink enemy ships causing irreparable damage. However, these radio-controlled torpedoes could easily be detected and jammed by broadcasting interference at the frequency of the control signal, Mm -hmm. thereby causing the torpedo to go off course. Right. Antile and Lamar developed the idea of using frequency hopping, in Ah, this case, using a player piano roll, to randomly change the signal sent between the control center and the torpedo at short bursts within a range of 88 frequencies on the spectrum. That's smart. 88 black and white keys are on a piano keyboard. The specific code for the sequence of frequencies would be held identically by the controlling ship and in the torpedo. This basically encrypted the signal as it was impossible for the enemy to scam and jam all 88 frequencies because this would have required too much power. Antile would control the frequency hopping sequence using a player piano mechanism, which he had earlier used to score his ballet mécanique. So a player piano or one of those pianos that have the... The paper, yeah, where yeah. it's got the holes in it. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty much where the idea came from. Oh, that's
1: super smart. Mm-hmm. Oh, so just to, to avoid getting jammed, mm-hmm. you, you, you just keep switching it up so that nobody knows where, it, where it's going to be.
0: Yeah. Super smart. So th- that was pretty much what they came up with. And it was awarded patent number 2292387 in 1942. Mm. They approached the Navy to donate it for the war effort but they never use it and mm. in fact, fact they tell her to go sell war bonds instead little lady also because she isn't an american citizen yet and from austria they seize it as alien property oh gee in the bombshell documentary she says something along the lines of i was an enemy when i used science but an american when i sold war bonds <laughs> Bill brooks in the documentary says about the navy shame on them that's why I was in the army. The Navy was never that bright. <laughs> now their patent would only be protected until
2: 1959.
0: Mm. So Hetty asks a friend in the Navy in 1969, 10 years later, about her patent, even though it's from 1942. It turns out they used a form of frequency hopping in 1962 during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm. All the ships during the blockade were equipped with frequency hopping technology. Technically, she wouldn't have a case to claim anything because it only was until 1959
1: under patent right. Uh, protection. Right. Okay,
0: right. However, there is evidence that the Navy, in fact, used the technology in 1955. Ah. And there's a scientist who used her theory in 1955 and thanks her. The value of her invention would be about $30 billion today. Ugh. Yeah. But so, and
1: it's amazing that nobody knew this even until her death. Like,
0: no, so in 1990, okay, there is a journalist named Fleming Meeks who interviews her. So that's part of the documentary; these mm. interviewed tapes, and the tapes are featured, as I said, in the documentary. And he writes an article for Forbes and talks about her being an inventor. But it was, you know, almost 50 years after her invention, and she's already kind of in isolation and struggling. And then it finally starts to gain a little bit of speed after this article in 1990. In 1997, she and George are finally recognized by the Electronic Frontier Foundation and awarded the Pioneer Award. She was also the first woman to receive the Invention Convention's Balbi-Nas-Gnas Spirit of Achievement Award. Mm. In 2004, four years after her death, she was inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame. Wow. In 2006, the Hedy Lamar Weg was founded in Vienna Meidling not too far from here mm-hmm. named after the actress in 2013 the IQOQI installed a quantum telescope on the roof of the University of Vienna which they named after her mm. there's going to be a shopping center coming up next year on Maria Hilfestrasse um I was at first I was annoyed about it because I thought woman be shopping why is there <laughs> Kenny Lamar you're going to give her a shopping center but what's very interesting, uh, and a friend of mine told me to look more <laughs> into it, it sounds very exciting. It will, there will be a Hedy Lamarr museum mm. and a statue of her on the roof garden. There will be exhibits about her in a bar in the Los style. You know the American bar? Right, in the right. First district. So it's going to be actually, it sounds pretty amazing. There's also talk of Gal Gadot starring as her in an Apple Plus series. Um, I just see a film with a lot of blackboard drawing. <laughs> And montages, <laughs> a lot of beautiful minding, just, <laughs> just,
1: and then a lot of just like disheveled hair.
0: Yeah, just like throwing down a ah. book. <laughs> I love Gal Gadot, but I don't know if she's the right choice. She's 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 Wonder Woman. <laughs> well, I guess so is Hetty. Um, so that's pretty much the story of Hetty Lamar.
1: That's really amazing. No, it's a it's a full life. I'll tell you that.
0: I find it really tragic. <laughs> it's
1: just it's, uh, but i mean it's tragic cuz it's 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 kind of the time, you know? Yeah. Like you you would think if she was born in a different time, uh she would able to, you know, be able to do more things with her life and uh but
0: <sighs>
1: but definitely an interesting podcast and it's <laughs> podcast number 1.
0: Podcast number 1. Well, We did it. So
1: So how are we going to do this? So so for future podcasts, we're going to be Coming up with new topics and... Uh, yes, we. We.
0: <laughs>
1: By the way, yeah, I, I, she's laughing because she basically puts in all the study, all the effort, and I just show up and sit on the couch and uh, not moving and not twiddling. You're helping. I'm helping.
0: You're helping. Well, that's it for today. And I want to thank everyone for listening. You can also check out the Frau Batsby Instagram page. There'll be pictures about this podcast and other things about Vienna. Now also for self-promotion, I have my book, Melange à Trois, which is available on Amazon, written by Tova Mar. It is a comedy that, romantic comedy set in Vienna. So please check that out. If you're looking for something to read, do you have anything to add, Hair X?
1: No, no, I think this was lovely and I can't wait for the next
0: one. It'll be fun. So I guess all I have to say is just, bye-bye.
2: Tschüss!